0: Welcome back to Courageous Conversations, a podcast of inspiring insights for executives and leaders. Well, let's start off by asking what might seem like the obvious question, but I'm sure like me, you still come across leaders and people in organization who say, you know, I need to focus on results. Uh, I don't need to focus on diversity and difference, and whatever gets me those results, whoever I have to hire to get me those results, that's what's important. So if you weren't being a diplomatic consultant, what what would you say to those leaders about why it's so important to focus on difference and diversity?
1: Yeah, so you know one of the, this is an interesting question because we are actually working on an assessment right now. Uh, that assesses leaders and makes sure that they are prepared for the future. And diversity, diverse teams are the way of the future, um, number one. Number two, uh, it's not just the diverse teams, it's creating belonging, creating inclusion within those teams. And um, if the leader still pushes back, I will, I will show them some studies. So McKinsey did a study during the Great Resignation, and it showed um, one of the top reasons why employ- employees were leaving their jobs was belonging. And it was top three, um, and it was top three for the first time ever. Um, another reason was psychological safety, right? And we all know again that psychological safety uh, is very uh, good for productive teams, very good for innovative teams. It's also good for diverse teams. And psychological safety, for those that don't know what it is, it's that you can uh, be able to, to, to speak up without repercussions, you can without being humiliated. You can make mistakes especially in an innovation sense without being humiliated and your unique thoughts and perspectives are accepted
0: what is your sense of in really practical terms without living in some fairy tale what should belonging feel like to each of us in an organizational setting oh yeah so i have a
1: metaphor that that i use when i when i talk about this with leaders So I want everyone to imagine that you are in a boardroom, right? And you walk into that boardroom, you see about 10 chairs around that table. So everybody imagine that and then pick the chair that you want to sit in. So Everybody imagine that, pick that chair. So once you pick that chair, go sit in that chair. Imagine that you're sitting in that chair, like in this visualization. And imagine that that's going to be your chair. Right, that you could do anything you want to that chair. You put your name on that chair, you paint that chair, whatever color you want. You could, you could switch that chair out for something a little bit more comfortable, but that's your chair. And if you belong in an organization, your team that is also gonna be coming in, sitting around that table, that is sitting around that table, they're gonna see that chair as yours, right? They're not gonna try to move that chair. They're not gonna try to compete with that chair. They're not going to try to one-up that chair. Um, When you're not sitting in that chair, they're actually going to be like, where is that person? Well, that person, um, we need that person's opinions, right? Um, Instead of, uh, you know, competition, like, oh, I'm going to move that chair out of the way because they're not here and I'm going to take over. Um, That's what belonging feels like. That's your chair. People acknowledge it's your chair. You have your own space. There's a sense of interdependence. Um, Sometimes people, when they hear that word, they get a little panicked. I'm not talking about codependence. I'm talking about interdependence, where you are part of a bigger purpose in the organization. You are part of a bigger meaning in that
0: organization. And I'm curious from your different consulting work at at companies, what kind of almost unspoken exclusionary practices are still out there in the world that are really walking against the sense of belonging and inclusion?
1: Yeah, so... And we do leading below surface. I talk about these uh, these toxic talent practices. Um, so we do a lot of workshops on psychological safety. And I think um, when leaders are walking into that, they think, "Oh, I'm going to learn how to make my team say, This is going to feel good." But guess what? It doesn't feel good. A lot of the times, they're surprised because there are all these uh, or- these organizational processes that and structures that are kind of the foundation of organizations that really need to be torn up and replanted. So some of you probably have gardens, right? And maybe, and this is a metaphor I'll use. And, and if you, some of you that are gardeners, you probably know that if you, don't, if you don't treat your soil well, you're gonna have slugs and those slugs are gonna eat away at your plants. So you must have to redo that whole bed and get all those slugs out. And um, one of those processes that has slugs is, or that's full of slugs is performance management. Mm-hmm. How we manage people like in performance management, so what do I mean by that? And people get really antsy when I talk about this, but feedback is extremely biased. And, and I wrote an article about this where uh, you know, black women are most likely to get feedback that's not actionable. Asian men are, are likely to get feedback that where they are um, told they're, they're uh, geniuses. Women um, are likely to get feedback that's very stereotypical uh, to women, you know, women's traits or what's believed to be, you know, caring personalities. So there's all these, these things with feedback. Um, and so performance management is is a trap. And so it's that's the first area where you can really look and examine those processes. Examine why are you doing this, right? And, you know, I'm always, and this is a coaching school, so I'm sure you'll, you'll love this, but what I usually tell folks is, just turn your managers into the coaches. That's your performance management. Like there's really no reason, like the ratings are biased, all those types of things.
0: So I'm wondering, what do you see as the starting point for us to identify our own biases? And then can we change them? And if so, how do we go about this?
1: There are three biases that, that I talk about in the book. And those, I did a lot of research on biases. We talk about biases a lot. And there are three that rose to the top for me. Uh, affinity bias, that's bias that where we are surrounded by people who are similar to us. Um, this bias is, it benefits us in a lot of ways, right? We wouldn't have any friends, right? We wouldn't have any hobbies, we wouldn't have, um, you know, communities if we didn't have affinity bias. Um, some people even even also uh, push back because, you know, ERGs, like business resource groups have been organizations, people are like, well, isn't that affinity bias? Well, you know, it's a, it's it's a different kind of way to look at that. But um, yeah, but there are, you know, these homogenous groups, right? And we like to be with folks. who makes us feel more comfortable for whatever reason. But again, it's a bias. Um, I also talk about confirmation bias, which is what the bias that holds us back from creating diverse teams quite a bit. And what that bias is, is it it means that, you know, you bring in someone diverse, they might think differently. Uh, you have a to test, hesitancy to bring them in because they are going to think differently. And the minute they do something different, that you don't like, you say, you write them off, right? That's confirmation bias. In group bias is the third one. And that's the, the, the danger with in group bias is um, like a lot of people think it's harmless, but you can't even have empathy for the out group. Again, that's the biggest danger is that you can't even have empathy for the out group. Um, and so there have been many studies around
0: this. What's your sense of really? Uh, making decisions about organizational performance versus potentially, you know, being uh, exclusionary. And, and I'll, I'll get to the question of the three types of leadership and below the surface leadership, which is really what you talk about. But how do you reconcile this? Or how does a below the surface leader actually make decisions, tough decisions about an organization?
1: I, I do think, I'm, I'm glad you asked the question in that way because it shows that we we do still think about these things as binary. Like it's performance versus inclusion or it's performance versus being nice. And I wrote a whole um, article about, uh, you know balancing psychological safety with accountability because people were like, well, how can I be safe and hold people accountable? You know, I gotta, I have these goals I have to do. I have to be high performing and so, Again, it's, it's, not, it's not separate. These things are not mutually exclusive. And if you're still there where you're thinking about it that way, you, that's where you have to start. Because again, I, I just rattled off some research. There's a lot more out there that shows that these things are coming together. And this is leadership of the future. Again, we're not in the, the 90s or the 2000s anymore, or um, early 2000s, where we were like, okay, competition, let's, let's force rank. We're in a different uh, workplace now, and these different generations are also pushing a lot of that. And so you really have to get up to date if you're going to survive.